Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, Pastor Drake here. Such an honor to have you gathering with us here today, and I'm so excited to introduce my friend Tim Brown from The Brook in Denver. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are, and part of how we do that is by investing in other church plants in the Denver metro area and around the world. And so we're so grateful to be investing consistently into the brook in Denver through prayer and finances and watching the amazing things that God is doing in and through their team out there in the Denver metro area. And so I'm really excited to have Tim share today not only God's activity happening in and around what what they're doing out in Denver, but also to share a little bit of his story. And here's what I can promise you. Today you're going to leave challenged, you're going to leave encouraged, and you're going to leave better than you showed up. So thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Put your hands together for Tim Brown. Drake and I were talking last week, and he mentioned that you guys just wrapped up a 13-week series in the book of First John. 13 weeks, like that is going hard. I, I love that. I think that's awesome. And uh, the, the series was focused around this idea of intimacy with Jesus, and I think specifically that when we go into a season of intimacy with Jesus, one of the best things that we can do is we can surround ourselves with other people who are following Jesus, right? And I think that any time you go into a season or a time in your life where you are intimately connected with Jesus, where you are doing what Jesus did, where you are becoming like him, and you are actually following Jesus, it's almost impossible not to leave changed, right? Like it's almost impossible not to leave that season with a changed Heart And I love this figure, John, that you guys studied for so long because he's a perfect example. He was a fisherman living in this small town in Galilee, which was like the blue-collar town of the day. And all of a sudden, he receives a call from Jesus, and he says, yes, I will follow you. And he, he saw a new vision for his life that completely changed, right? He went from becoming a fisherman to becoming arguably the best friend of the Messiah, He went on to write significant portions of the Bible that would go on to be read by billions of people and be the primary tool and instrument and vehicle uh, that God uses to connect and to communicate with his people. He would go on to die for his faith, and then he would probably become one of arguably the single most important apostolic figures uh, in the New Testament. And so, anyways, I think what happens when we leave these seasons of intimacy with Jesus is we get a new vision for our lives. God gives us a new vision. He says, hey, here's where I want to take your career. Here's where I'm leading uh, your relationships. Here's where I'm leading your family. Here is a new purpose for why you exist on planet Earth. And so what I want to do today is I want to bridge the gap. The gap that exists between the time when we receive a vision for our lives of of, here's where I'm going to take you. Here's this let's go moment. And then the time that that vision or that promise actually comes to fruition. And, And the way that I would describe that period of time in between is a profoundly biblical practice. It is one that I would say we human beings are notoriously bad at. It's one that I have struggled with personally quite a bit in my life, and I imagine that some of you have struggled with this too. And it is the biblical practice of waiting, of waiting. Everyone's like, oh, waiting, right? You know how hard waiting is anytime you uh, step in the line at the DMV, right? You know waiting is tough. Anytime you get in your car and you drive down I-25 at 
I think now any time of the day, you realize that waiting is very difficult. And so what I want to do is I actually want to take you all back to a time in my life when I was forced to wait on something. And I'm actually going to take you to a time, uh, a day in my life that I would say was the hardest day of my life. It was November 19th, 2016. I'll never forget the day. Uh, I was in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and I had flown down there with a large group of friends, about 20 of us, to attend the wedding of one of our close friends and coworkers. And uh, we go down to celebrate our new friend and his future wife. Uh, we're excited, we're, we're having a good time, and we get in, in a bus and we all go to the wedding uh, ceremony. And it, I remember it took place at this beautiful Catholic church, like one of the prettiest churches that I've ever been in. It was the perfect setting for a perfect day. Uh, we then go to the wedding reception, which is the party afterwards. And uh, that surprised me. Uh, it was, you can imagine myself, 20 of my closest friends, and then surrounding us were 200 of the wildest whiskey drinking Cajuns that you've ever seen in your life. In fact, at one point, the father of the bride actually took his shirt off. And like, that's how you know you're at a Cajun wedding, right? I mean, you see things that happen like that. Uh, I should also tell you that I was attending this wedding with a person, and this person was very, very special to me. Uh, the wedding was coming to a close, uh, people were starting to leave, and me and this person, we step outside to uh, call a ride to go back to the hotel where our group of friends was staying. Uh, it was raining, and we get into the, the ride, and I heard what I thought was crying. And so I look over at this person, and I see tears, I said, hey, are you okay? No response. A couple minutes pass. I look back over this person. I said, hey, hey, are you okay? No response. And finally, a third time, I, I, I gently placed my hand on her hand. And I said, hey, are you okay? And this time, I heard a very faint reply, reply back, no, I'm not. I'm not okay. We arrived at the hotel, and we got out of the car. And in that moment, I knew that something bad had happened or something bad was about to happen just from the way the words came out of her mouth. We started walking through the, the hotel lobby. She was a few paces in front of me. Uh, at this point, I just gently placed my hand on her shoulder and I said, hey, can you, can you please tell me what's going on? Can you please explain to me what's going on? And in that moment, in, in what felt like slow motion, uh, my fiance, the person who I was planning to spend the rest of my life with, she turned and she looked at me and she slipped the ring off of her left finger and she placed it in the palm of my hand. And I looked down at the ring, and I looked back up at her, and I will never forget the five words that she said to me next. She said, I just don't love you. I just don't love you. I was devastated. I fell to the ground in the hallway, and I proceeded to watch the person who I was planning to spend the rest of my life with walk into her hotel room, and it was the last time that I ever saw her. I think that there is something beautiful that happens when we go through a period of time of suffering in our lives. And I think as more time uh, goes by between the time that we went through that suffering and as we look back, I think as we become more and more removed, God's plans and his purposes for our lives often become more and more clear. I write in a journal from time to time, and I was actually, when I was preparing for this message, I went back to my journal just to see what I wrote uh, during this period of time. And so I'm going to read you a passage that I wrote uh, a couple days after this happened. This was November 27th of 2016. Last night was hard. I feel physically sick, like I can't eat food. 
I need God more than I have ever needed him before. In fact, he's all I have right now. I know that there is a greater plan at large and that God is doing this out of love, but man is it hard to see sometimes. Today I'm praying that God will give me peace, just peace. This is easily the most difficult challenge I've ever been through. I feel worthless, like I can't be joyful, like I can't be a godly man, like I can't work or focus or sleep. When I reflect back on that period of time, I think God taught me something very specific. God forced me to wait because he had something completely different in mind for me. Completely different in mind. And I believe that God will force you to wait too. But hear me when I say this, that does not mean that God does not have a wonderful plan for your life, right? Like the Bible says that God has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you a hope. In a future, the author of Ephesians would go on to say that that plan is immeasurably more than all you can think, ask, or imagine. But the tension that I think so many of us sit in today is is that although God has this incredible plan, our inability to wait well, it leads us to make decisions that short-circuit that plan, right? Because as we're walking on this God journey that we all inevitably find ourselves on, and waiting starts to happen, and we go on a detour, we make decisions that short-circuit that plan. We, we do dumb things, and we sabotage, and we abandon ship, and we try to take matters into our own hands. But hear me when I say this, God will always work slower than you work. He will always work in a different way. The prophet Isaiah wrote about this thousands of years ago. God is talking to the prophet Isaiah, and he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So as long as we survey God, who doesn't think the way we think, and who doesn't act the way that we act, we are guaranteed to experience confusion in this life. And so what I wanna do today, and what I'm building my entire message around is two questions. The two questions are, number one, why does God force us to wait in our lives? And number two is, what is the antidote? What is the solution? How do we wait well in this God journey that we all find ourselves on? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go to a store in the Old Testament. Uh, In fact, we're going to go to the book of Exodus, which is uh, the second book of the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, this is the story of God's chosen people, the Israelites. At this point in the story, they have been in slavery for 430 years. Like, imagine how long that is, slavery. There's a new uh, pharaoh, a new king who is in charge. They're in Egypt, who is a harsh, brutal ruler. And the Bible says that day after day, the Israelites are building bricks out of mud and straw every single day to continue building buildings and, and pyramids and figures for this harsh ruler, pharaoh. And every single day, the Israelites are crying out to God day after day, God, get me out of here. Like, Get me out of here. Like, we've been in slavery for so long. We've been doing this for so long. Please help. Like, we are tired of waiting because earlier on in the story, if you've read the story of Exodus, God gives this wonderful promise to this guy named Abraham. He says that one day I will bring you out of slavery, I will bring you out of bondage, and I will bring you to the promised land. The land that the Bible says is flowing with milk and honey. They call it Canaan. This is modern day Israel. And they're crying out day after day, like, God, get us out of here. Now imagine the tension that they're feeling and just bring that into your life, right? Like, we feel that. We all have things in our lives where we're waiting on God. We say, God, like, I've been single for eight years and I want to get married. Like, God, get me out of here. Help me, right? 
For others, I think sometimes it's, God, I've been struggling with addiction and the anxiety and the depression are real and it feels like I'm hanging on by a string. And I know in your word it says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free and so I'm gonna stand firm and I'm not gonna let myself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery and I'm standing firm but I am barely hanging on. I think for others of us, it's, we're sitting here thinking, we just left this entire season of COVID and now we find ourselves back in with the Delta variant. It's like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Like, how am I gonna deal with this? God, we just went through this and now we're going back to it. And it's, it produces a lot of worry and it produces a lot of anxiety. And so we're sitting there praying, God, are, do we have to wait on this again? Do we have to go through this again? Now enters a guy into the story named Moses. Some of you have heard of Moses, right? Some of you have seen the Disney movie, The Prince of Egypt. Uh, and I think it's, sidebar, I think it's funny how most of our theological understanding is, as young people is shaped by two things, right? Uh, veggie Tales and Disney, right? <laughs> Some of you saw All Dogs Go to Heaven and now you think that all dogs go to heaven, right? Which I'm not saying that your dog's not in heaven. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that your cat's not. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, this guy, Moses, he comes on the scene, and the Israelites are crying out day after day after day. And the Bible talks about this guy, Moses, and it says that Moses was, that he, he was adopted as a baby by the daughter of Pharaoh. So Moses' grandfather was the most powerful man on planet Earth. And the Bible says that Moses was such a profound man of faith that when he was 40 years old, he actually forsook the pleasures of the palace the fleeting pleasures of sin, and he went, to be go, he went to be mistreated with his people. And do you know what happened in Moses' life after he took that faithful step of obedience? Good things, right? No. No, no, he was exiled to the wilderness of Midian, thousands of miles away from his friends and family, where he worked a minimum wage job herding sheep on the back side of a mountain. You wanna talk about a frustrating season of waiting, and for some of you, that's your story right now. You made the decision to follow Jesus and you denied yourself some pleasures and now you find yourself in a season of obscurity in the wilderness and you're crying out to God, God, get me out of here. And the Israelites were in the same place. They're saying, God, get me out of here. And God said, I'm gonna get you out of there, but I gotta find the right guy to do it, right? I gotta find the right person to do it and I can't find the right guy in a couple of weeks because we humans are too broken and too flawed and we're still living with the residue of sin in our lives. And so God brings Moses to the wilderness to a season of obscurity in his life so that he can get experience with his word and he get experience with God so that when the time comes for Moses to actually lead the Israelites out of slavery, he doesn't give up and quit. Because if he gives up, and he quits, everybody perishes, and God did not want that to happen. He is far too faithful to let that happen. So we're gonna go to Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18, and I just wanna share with you all today two reasons why God will force us to wait. Verse 17, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, okay, so they're just going out of Egypt after 430 years of slavery, and they're led by Moses, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory. And listen to this, even though that was what? The shortest route to the promised land. This is the God that we serve. He is not nearly as concerned about where they are going as he is and who they are becoming. 
And so he's going to take them the long road around, and he's going to build some things in them, and he's going to work some good in and work some bad out. And the reason why is right here. It says, God said, if the people are faced with battle, they might what? Change their minds and return to Egypt. And God doesn't want them to go back to what was a really bad situation because he cares far too much about them, and he is far too faithful. And that leads me to my first reason why I believe God will force you to wait in your life. And it's not because he's punishing you. It's because he's what? He's protecting you. He is protecting you. The Israelites had no idea how formidable the Philistine army was. They had no idea that there were people like Goliath in the Philistine army who were trained warriors who would absolutely destroy them. They didn't know how to fight. They'd been in slavery for 430 years. All they knew how to do was build mud or build bricks out of mud and straw. And so if they faced the Philistine army, they would be destroyed. And God loved his chosen people far too much to see them go back to what could have been a really bad situation. And so God was protecting them. If you find yourself in a season of waiting right now, have you considered that maybe God's protecting you? Have you considered that maybe God in his infinite grace and his wisdom is looking ahead on the road that you are on and he's seeing some situations and he's seeing some things and, and perhaps even some people uh, that may not be in your best interest and God is protecting you. Take me as an example. Uh, I'm going to go back to my journal here. Uh, a couple of months later in 2016, I wrote another uh, entry in the journal. And uh, I just want you to read this and I want you to listen to how God was protecting me from what could have been a really bad situation. January 1st, 2017. This is a, a couple months later. Today has been a great day. Oh, excuse me, that's the wrong one. Um, a few weeks later in 2016, it's time for me to accept this and move forward. It will continue to hurt and it will continue to be difficult, but I must trust in God's plan and its purpose for my life. When he says that he knows the plans he has for me, plans to give me a hope and a future, I believe that he means it. I must stay strong and continue to put one foot in front of the other. I must recognize that God did this out of love and he did it to save me from a world of hurt down the road. Do you see how God was protecting me? Now, I can't prove this, and I probably won't know on this side of the grave, but I have a feeling that if me and that person would have gotten married, we probably wouldn't be married today. And I definitely would not be up here doing this. God was protecting me, and I believe that he does the exact same thing for us. So when God throws a detour in your life, ask yourself that question. Is it possible that God is protecting you from something? Go ahead and throw that map up of the uh, Israelites' journey. I love this map. So what we see here is on the left, in the top left, that's, uh, that's Goshen, right? That's slavery. That's Egypt. And then on the top right, that's modern-day Israel. That's, uh, that's Canaan. That's the promised land. And the red line is the map that the Israelites took through the wilderness. And so I get, I'm like, God, okay, I get that you had to take them south, but did you have to take them so far south that they went through the wilderness of Egypt, the largest desert in the area? And then, God, did you have to take them so far south that they ran into an ocean? Like, are you messing with us, God? Are you just toying with us? And then what's up with, like, that kind of back-and-forth lap up there in the wilderness of Zin? Like, what were they doing there? <laughs> that has to deal with some obedience issues, and that's a sermon for another time. But for some of you, that's your story as you walk in here today, and you know what God has called you to do, but you're struggling to put it into practice. And, and God says to you in his grace for you, he says, you've got to graduate this part of the trip. 
you gotta graduate this part of the trip, but you're in a much bigger hurry to get to the end destination than I am. So I'm just gonna let you keep doing laps over and over and over. I was talking to my friend this week as I was preparing for this message. And uh, he's like, you should draw a picture of God's plan versus your plan. And uh, I'm not a very artistic person. And so I actually grabbed this graphic from an old pastor of mine uh, named Chad Brugman. And I just think this so perfectly describes the difference between how we see our plan and how God sees our plan, right? In our, in our viewpoint, we see our plan. It's a straight line, right? God gives us the promise. He gives us the let's go moment. And we say, okay, God, I'm ready. Let's go. Like, let's go do it. And then God's plan is always a completely different idea in mind, right? It's always completely from what we expected. There's trials, there's difficulties. And I think that we see the same thing in the Israelites' journey. Let's close out verse uh, 18. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And this last sentence gets me every time. And thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And do you know what God said to them? No, you're not. No, you're not. You think that you're ready. You think that you're ready. God will always let us in on a part of our future before we're actually prepared for our future. He gives us these let's go moments where he says, this is where I'm taking your career. This is where I'm taking your relationships. This is where I'm taking your marriage. But he doesn't actually uh, prepare us fully for that moment because I think that if God takes us from slavery to surplus, in one day, without the character to sustain us, it will kill us. The blessing will kill us. And so what God is doing with the Israelites is he is preparing them. And that leads me to my second point. The reason why God will force you to wait is not because God is punishing you. It's because he's preparing you. He's preparing you. If there was one thing that you wrote down today, if there was one thing that you took away from this message, it would be this. God cares far more about who you are becoming than where you are going. God cares far more about your character than he does your quest. He wants you to be comfortable. He wants you to be happy, but not at the expense of your character. He wants your character to be the foundation for your quest because God understands that if we don't have the character to sustain the blessing, we will give up and quit 10 times out of 10. But I think the problem is, is that we live in a culture that is completely focused on the opposite, do we not? Like it's all about what have you done for me lately? What have you accomplished recently? Whenever I sit around with my friends and family, the question that I always get is, how's work going? Have you gotten a promotion? Uh, are you getting paid more money? Uh, have you accomplished anything significant lately? Have you gotten married? We rarely sit around the table with our friends and family and say, hey, how's the character going? How's the obedience going? How is the integrity holding up? Charlie, you making good sound moral choices? We rarely sit around and do that. In fact, next time you're at a party, say a housewarming party, you know, they're showing around the house. Oh, this is beautiful. I love the, the pictures and the things. And it's like, by the way, Diane, how's your character going? Just see what she says. It might be the last time Diane invites you to a housewarming party. <laughs> so as I close out here, I just want to go back to my story. Uh, so it, in 2016, when I was going through the fire, this was very very difficult. And I think what I learned too is, is that when God wants to grow our character, the tool and the vehicle that he most often uses is this word that we just don't like to go to in Christianity and it's suffering, right? Because it is so difficult. Like we, in our culture today, we run from pain and it's, it's not something that is comfortable, but God so often in our plan and the God-ordained plan for our lives, he uses the vehicle of suffering to build and to change our character 
And when I was going through the fire, when I was going through some of my most difficult days, I was building my life on the promises of God. I remember there was a time, and some of you have felt this way before, where it just felt like a black cloud was following me around every day. And it was hard to wake up, it was hard to go to bed. You can hear it as I read some of these journal entries. And the only thing that brought me peace was I would sit down at my kitchen table day after day and I would just read through the word of God, page after page after page. And I think it's so important for us to understand that we have to build our lives on the promises of God and the foundations of God because what I didn't know at the time was that God was doing a work in me so that later he could do a work through me. The last passage that I'll read here out of, the, out of my journal, I want you just to hear how God was preparing me for my future before I ever knew what my future would actually become. This was a few months later in 2017 after I'd gone through this. I'm not out of the woods yet, but at this point, God is working in my heart. He is working in my spirit. Today has been a great day. I've spent the entire day with God and I feel very strong in spirit. I've learned that God is calling me to a ministry of some sort, the details of which I don't know, but in the meantime, it's clear that I must be disciplined and obedient in my pursuit of God. In time, he will reveal his purpose, which I couldn't be more excited for. It was only a few short weeks later that I was randomly forwarded an email from two people that I did not know. Uh, it was highlighting a couple of students that were being baptized right here on the CU Boulder campus, and God's spirit moved in me that day, and I clicked the little button at the bottom of the email that said, give to the ministry of Jason and Molly. Two people, I had no idea who they were. Jason and Molly are the two people who I had the privilege to start uh, the brook alongside. Uh, I never thought that in that season of waiting, in that season of suffering, that God was actually moving while I was waiting. And on the quick sidebar, on the topic of generosity, I found this out this week, but this church has been an instrumental part of the giving to, uh, to our church the brook, and so uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, I think God has moved so much in my life through um, the discipline of financial giving. I've seen how much uh, fruit he has brought in my life, and there's people that are sitting in this room who are giving faithfully to this church, and uh, what you guys have allowed is places like the brook in the city of Denver to go reach young professionals in their 20s and 30s to share the gospel with them. In fact, you can, uh, you can throw that slide up so this is the brook. This is what we're doing all 20s and 30s. We've had people baptized this year. We've had people come to faith. We've had awesome social events. And it just really feels like God's spirit is moving powerfully in the city of Denver. And uh, on behalf of our entire staff, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you uh, for taking your values of outwardly focused and radical generosity and bringing them together to accomplish things with people that you don't even know. So thank you so much. Uh, yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. That's great. So the last thing I want to talk about today is what is the antidote? How do we wait well, right? Okay, waiting is difficult. We get it. But how do we wait well? And the first way that I found uh, that we can wait well in this God journey that we are all on is we wait with a promise. We wait with a promise. Uh, it's very difficult to wait when we don't know what the promise of God is in our lives and we don't know what the vision is for our future. Can you imagine if the Israelites were waiting in slavery and they didn't know that the promised land existed? It would be very, very difficult, would it not? And I think that uh, there's a great Christian thinker by the name of Henry Nouwen and he had a comment on this idea of waiting with a promise. He said this, Waiting is never a movement from nothing to something. It's always a movement from something to something more. 
God will always let you in on the promise before it becomes a reality. He will always give you a glimpse of your future before it takes full effect. But I think the tension that again we sit in is that so many of us don't know what God's word says. So many of us are in a season of waiting where we are crying out to God, but we don't know that the promised land exists. And so what I think God is probably calling us to do is to get in the word, to understand what are the promises. When I was going through the fire, when I was in some of the most difficult seasons of my life, I had to build my life on the foundations of God. When I start to doubt my plan and my purpose, and this applies to today, it's Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When I start to doubt the significance of God's plan on my life, and I think, ah, maybe he doesn't actually want something good for me, or, or maybe it's not that great. It's Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can think, ask, or imagine, according to his power that is at work within you. And when I'm going through the fire, and, and I think God brought someone here to hear this verse today, it is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange is happening. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that one day you will be full of joy when his glory is revealed. No word from God will ever fail. The second way that we can wait well is we wait actively. We wait actively. Uh, when you read through the stories of the apostles and the prophets in the Old and the New Testament, there is no passivity in Scripture. There is no passivity. Let's take a look at the Israelites' journey. What were they doing the entire time? They were walking, right? They were walking, and I think that for so many of us, we think that we're in a season of waiting, that we're just going to pray and hope that God moves. And what God is calling us to do is to get up and walk. And yeah, it might have taken the Israelites 15,000 cumulative miles to make it what was a straight-line distance of 350 miles, but while they were walking, God was working. I've heard it said before that it's God who drives the bus, but it's our job to hit the gas pedal. We are saved by grace through faith, but it takes some effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. And so I think what God is probably calling some of us to do today is to get up and walk. Start putting our heads in scripture. Start waking up 10 minutes early and spending time in prayer. Start serving at your church, coming under the authority of elders. For some of you, God's calling you to take the obedient step to get baptized. God is calling us to get up and walk. The third and the final way that we can wait well, and this is the most difficult one for me, and I've really struggled with it, and I call it waiting with an open hand, waiting with an open hand. Uh, we are all full of wishes, are we not? We're all full of wishes. Uh, God, I, I wish that I could marry that person. God, I wish I had that career. God, I, I wish you would take this pain away. And I think that what can happen sometimes is when we are waiting, our wishes can become so entangled in our waiting that we actually forget to be, wait we, we stop waiting on God and we start waiting with a sense of fear and control. And what God wants to do for so many of us is we have the, the thing that we're, we're hoping for, the thing that we wish for. And every one of you, I, I'm sure you have something that you are hoping for in your life right now, that you're waiting on. And we have a death grip on that wish. And what God wants to do in his grace and his love for you is he wants to say, my son, my daughter, you can let go of some control because I'm a good father and I'm in control. 
You can let go of some fear because it's scary in the wilderness, but I promise to guide you along the right path for, for my namesake. You can let go of some comfort because in order for me to grow your character, I'm gonna have to put you in some uncomfortable situations. You can let go of some doubt because no word that I say will ever fail. And all of a sudden we stand before God with an open hand and we pray the most powerful words in the English language, which is not my will, but yours be done. And what God will do is he will take that thing that you're wishing for out of your hand and he will replace it with something that is greater than you ever imagined than you ever thought, than you ever expected. And so as I close, what I want to share with some of you guys, um, I want to wrap up this, uh, this story of the Israelites' journey. They were having trouble letting go of some things. You can go ahead and throw that final verse, Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. Their situation is about to get a lot worse. Uh, what the Bible says is that God actually hardened the heart of Pharaoh after he let the people go. Uh, and Pharaoh said, we just let go of the greatest slave labor force on planet Earth. And he changed his mind. He said, well, we're going to go back and get all of them. And if we can't get them, we're going to kill them. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, coming back to get them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? And I cannot believe that they say this. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They were in bondage for 430 years. And now they run into a military problem, a little bit of a geography problem. They're looking back to Egypt. You're looking back to what was a really bad situation. For some of you, you are in a place of waiting right now and you are at the end of your rope and you are tired and you are frustrated and you are grumbling against people and you're grumbling against God and you're starting to give up and you're wondering, is God even there? Is he even listening? And I think that God brought some of us here today to tell us something very specific. Listen to how Moses addresses the people, verse 13. Moses answered the people, and I just want you to picture God saying this to some of you right now. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Many of you know what happens next. Moses stretches his hand out over the Red Sea. The Bible says that God welled up a strong eastern wind and he parted the Red Sea and all 600,000 of the Israelites walked through on dry land to the other side. God performed a miracle that day and what I would say to all of you is what if every event that has happened in your life up until this point is God setting the stage to perform something miraculous? What if your season of waiting is God preparing you and protecting you so that he can part the Red Sea in your life, nearly 1,300 years after this event happened, God did something even more miraculous. He sent his son, whom he loved to this earth, a real man who lived here, and God could have saved us in a second, but instead he sent a child. Let that be a lesson of the character and the patience of our God. I was thinking this week, and I thought to myself, if I could bring an Israelite up on stage right now, and I could just have him stand right next to me, 
and ask him the question, what did God do for you? I think what he would probably say to me is, I was in bondage, I was called out of bondage, I crossed over by grace and I was saved forever. And if I asked one of you, someone who has made the decision to trust Jesus, who was a follower of Jesus, to come up on stage, and I asked you, what has Jesus done for you? I think what you'd probably say is, I was in bondage, I was called out of bondage, I crossed over by grace, and I was saved forever. Jesus came to this world. He lived a perfect, sinless, holy, blameless life, a life that we could not live on our best day of holy living. That night on Calvary, he went to the cross. He was nailed to a tree where he died the death that every one of us deserved as a result of our sin. He died the death that we deserved as a result of our falling short of God's plan. And what, the, what he did that night was he accomplished something in us. With his arms spread wide, he parted the Red Sea so that every single one of us can walk through on dry land into the open arms of the Father. Please do not give up on God because God did not give up on you. I'm going to pray and then we are just going to worship our way through this. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for bringing us each here today. God, I know that every person walks in here with a story, a story of waiting. And if we're not in a season of waiting now, we will inevitably find ourselves in a season of waiting in the future. Uh, Jesus, we don't need uh, an inspirational message or a talk. We need an encounter with your Holy Spirit. And so I just pray as we move into a time of worship, Jesus, that you would divinely encounter every single person that is listening online and who is in this room. Jesus, we need you. We are desperate for your presence. Father, thank you for parting the Red Sea in our lives. Thank you for the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus. And thank you for your blood and the sacrifice that came through your blood. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.